Amen. Thank you there, Dollar. You got a Bible with you? Say yes. And uh, let me invite you to open it up with me to John's Gospel, chapter 12. Now, if you're a guest of ours, we have been going through 1 John, but today, as well as next Sunday, we're going to take a break and jump over into John's Gospel, really to prepare us uh, for next Sunday. Next Sunday is indeed Resurrection Sunday, and we want our hearts leaning throughout this week in that direction. So, God willing, He'll use his word this morning to wash us clean, open our eyes, give us a fresh look at the empty tomb so that as we come together with our friends next week, that we have an opportunity to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ together. Now, John chapter 12, what we have really is this theme that emerges. In fact, you see it in John's gospel chapter 10, as well as John's gospel chapter 11. The theme is pretty simple, so let me kind of drop this on you in the introduction so that you can hang everything on these three ideas throughout the entire message today, all right? What we will see in John 10, 11, and 12 is this theme where Jesus is presented, and then Jesus is rejected, and then there is this hardcore determination to actually get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that first of all in John's Gospel chapter 10. It's pretty amazing what happens there. Jesus comes on the scene and he is presented by saying this, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Now, to a Gentile audience, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. Which by the way, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Any Gentiles in the house say amen? Yeah, y'all a bunch of Gentiles, all right? So Gentiles are here. But to a Jewish person, who grew up memorizing the Old Testament, they would have also known Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, the Bible says, and many of you know it as well, the Lord is my shepherd. So think about it. When Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the good shepherd, what we have is Jesus claiming to be God himself. And that's a massive claim. As a matter of fact, the scriptures teach us In John chapter 10 and verse 33, that he being a man was making himself out to be God. It infuriated the religious people. So as a result, they rejected him. And then they had this hardcore determination to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in John 10 and 31, the Bible says the Jews picked up stones again to stone Jesus. So there it is, this determination to push Jesus completely off the scene. That's in John 10. Now, John 11, same thing happens. Jesus shows up and presents himself again. You may remember the scene. Jesus comes into a town where the mourners are located. They are mourning the passing and the death of a man by the name of Lazarus. He had been dead for four days. He was in a tomb at this particular time, his body already decomposing. In fact, if you read the King James Version of this story, you will find that it says about the body of Lazarus that he stanketh. Are y'all with me? And that was the case. Now Jesus shows up on the scene. And Jesus presents himself once again to all of the people by making this declaration. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who comes to me and believes in me will live even if he dies. And what an awesome statement this was from Jesus, and then he just proved it, all right? Because Jesus at this time walks over to where the tomb is, and you can imagine all the mourners, they're crying, they're weeping and wailing, and in this particular day and age, they would actually hire people to come in and to weep and to mourn and to wail. 
So these were hired mourners. And Jesus steps up to the tomb and he silences the mourners with his statement, Lazarus, come forth. And as I study this, I begin to wonder, why does he call his name out, Lazarus? Well, the reason he did this is because if he just looked at the graves and said, come forth, they'd all got up and come. So he has to name him, Lazarus, come forth. And that's exactly what he did. Lazarus came forth. Now, Jesus was presented, but then we note in John 11 that he was immediately rejected. In fact, John 11:48 says it like this. Listen to their words. If we let Jesus go on like this, all men will believe in him. And then listen to this. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So these Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious elite of the day, were so concerned that they would lose their position of authority in that particular place that they turned a blind eye to the very miraculous event of the Lord Jesus Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. In fact, the Bible says in John eleven fifty three 53, that they had this determination to get rid of Jesus. For the Bible says from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So here again, think about it. There's a presentation, there's a rejection, and then there is a determination to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we thumb over to John chapter 12, we see the exact same thing. That's what we're going to look at today. John 12, beginning in verse 12. If you'll stand with me out of God's word this morning. You got it there in front of you? Say yes. And uh, this is pretty awesome text. You may have heard it before if you grew up in church. If not, you're in for a treat. The Bible says, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and they went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna. We just sang that, didn't we? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And these things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. Then in verse 19, here's the Pharisees again. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. In other words, you've not gotten rid of Jesus. And then they say, look, the world has gone after him. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would use it, as the book of Ephesians says, to wash us clean. God, we want to grow in our knowledge of you, but not just for knowledge's sake. God, we want to grow in such a way that we apply what we learn. And we see in this text of Scripture a great charge to present the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are outside of the faith. Help us to be faithful in doing that. And we ask that you would draw people to yourself, even this morning in this service, and we'll give you glory for it. And Father, at the same time, prepare our hearts, Lord. This is a celebration time for us leaning towards Easter, leaning towards Resurrection Sunday. And God, we just want to rejoice in your son, Jesus. We want it to begin even now in our hearts if it hasn't already. And that's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. You go ahead and be seated. All right, so just three things this morning, very quickly. First of all, Jesus was presented to the people. I've already mentioned that. So here's the presentation. The scattered Jewish people had actually traveled in 
and they had arrived in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, actually says that in these particular days, some two million people would have descended upon the city for this great celebration. The crowds were great, crowds were many, and they had seen Jesus, some of them, the day beforehand, and they were overwhelmed by his glory. They had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They were testifying about it. They were walking around. They were saying, have you heard about this guy, Jesus? No, we've not heard. Tell us. He actually called a man up from the dead. And the people were like, what? you got to be kidding. No, no, he did it. And they were overwhelmed by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that the crowd began to go out and to meet him. And, of course, we want to see this Jesus who actually raises dead men to life. That's what the Bible teaches us as the crowd went out. Now, as we read our Bibles in John 12 and verse 12, and we see the word crowd, uh, there's not much behind that in the English vernacular. But when you study in the Greek New Testament, you actually discover that John was using the term crowd to depict the common people of that day. In other words, John was saying all the common folk showed up to see Jesus enter into the city. So this was not the aristocrats. This is not the upper echelon of society. These were not the religious elite that everybody thought was holy. This was the normal people. These were people like you and I. These were both Jews as well as some Gentiles, all running out to see this man named Jesus. And although they were a uh, common crowd, they knew their Bibles because they actually took a messianic psalm found in Psalm 118, and they applied it to the entrance of Jesus into the city. It's a great picture. Again, 12 and 13, the Bible says, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. Now, for a moment this morning, you've got to put yourself in the scene. Don't just allow the verses to go in one ear and out the other. Put yourself there. Two million people. All the buzz is about the Lord Jesus Christ. He had raised a man from the dead. Other stories about him healing the sick, touching the blinded eyes, making them see the lame, making them walk. All the other stories about Jesus taking bread and just a few fish and feeding thousands upon thousands of people. These stories are circulating. And if you are there and you have not seen Jesus or heard about him before, you are getting pretty fired up. I've got to see this guy. And then you can imagine as they grab their palm trees, and that's two million people around, and they're all grabbing the palm trees, they're ripping the leaves off, and they're running to the entryway where Jesus would come into the city. And they begin to take those palm trees and throw them down on the path that he would walk upon. Could you imagine what that would be like? Could you imagine looking over the crowds and seeing all of the palm trees waving back and forth? And you may wonder, well, why in the world do they throw palms down? Why palm trees? You know, why not something else? Well, the reason that they did this was because it was very typical in those particular days to welcome a hero into the city by laying out palm trees or palm branches so that they could walk on them. So they were hailing Jesus as a hero who was coming into Jerusalem. But they weren't just waving their palms and talking about what Jesus had done. The Bible says they began to shout. What were they shouting? Verse 13, they went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now, I want you to think about what they're shouting. Hosanna. 
This word is actually the Greek form of a Hebrew prayer. Save us, we beseech you. It's the idea of they were screaming out to Jesus as he came in, save us now. We pray, we beg of you to give us salvation. Go forth and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they had recognized that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem based upon the authority and the name and the character of Almighty God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they were saying, save us, save us now, we pray, we believe you have come from God. This is their prayer. This is their shout. They're singing, they're shouting, all in unison, and then they proclaim him loudly as the king of Israel. This is what they long for, all right? They long for a king to come in. One commentary in Matthew Henry says their shouting would have denoted three realities that they hoped to be true. They were hoping that his kingdom would come immediately and they were desiring for his rule and reign that it would not delay. They were also hoping that he would experience victory over all and any opposition. And finally, they were desiring that his reign would be marked by continual victory, never to cease. Now, this is an interesting text because as we read it and hear them shouting, save us, save us now, many of our minds go directly to this desire to be saved from our sins. We sin before a holy God. We need forgiveness of that sin, so we call out, Hosanna, save us now. But when they were singing this, they were not, the majority of them, desiring for Jesus to save them from their sins. They were actually longing for Jesus to save them from the Roman government. So when they were saying, you are the king, they were saying, you have come to overthrow the government and establish the city of Jerusalem as the great city once again in Israel and establish a kingdom that would reign forever. Now, why in the world would they be desiring of this? Well, it's pretty simple because in the Old Testament, God made a promise to the Jewish people that through the line of David, a king would come who would establish his throne upon the earth and he would reign forever. So now Jesus shows up. You've got to put yourself now in that Jewish mindset. Of course, Jesus is here, man. We've heard about it. He's raised people from the dead. He's healing the blind. He's healing the sick. He's said all these miraculous powers. He preaches with authority. This must be the king. Here he comes. Hosanna, save us now. Give us victory. That was their prayer. Now you see in this text as well that Jesus was riding on a donkey. Verse 14 and 15, finding a young donkey, Jesus sat on it. And it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is awesome. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey. Not very impressive. In fact, uh, I've learned a little bit about donkeys since I've moved to northeast Georgia. Are y'all with me? I understand that we buy donkeys to put in our fields to keep the coyotes out. Is that correct? Somebody say amen. Somebody please, I'm afraid I'm wrong right now. All right, good deal. So that's what they do. They hee-haw. I've heard them, boy. They scare me too, all right? But we're not impressed with donkeys. And donkeys were not impressive in this particular day either. Donkeys were actually used simply to carry a load. 
They typically would pile up brush on the back of donkeys and they would lead them maybe to their home. So they would pile up a large load upon the donkey and the, the donkey would bear that load on their behalf. But now Jesus comes in riding on a donkey. Now this is not the entrance of a normal king. What is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus in this, I believe, is showing us his humility. The Bible says that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So he came in humility. But if he were going to come in like a normal king, he would have rode some kind of white stallion, some sort of large black stallion, some sort of massive horse, which would display his strength and his dignity and his honor. But Jesus chose to come in on a donkey. Now, he did this because the Bible says it was prophesied of the Messiah King who would come in Zechariah that he would come into the city riding on a donkey. So here he comes now. Y'all see him walking? He's riding on the back of that hee-haw, stepping on all the branches, everybody screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now, save us now. And the Bible says that the disciples didn't even know what was going on. They had no clue that he was fulfilling prophecy until they saw the glorified Jesus. Now, when did that go down? That happened after he got up from the dead. Y'all with me? So when Jesus was resurrected, he came back to his disciples and they were like, we get it now. We understand that you are the Messiah King. You have come to establish a kingdom in our hearts. Jesus promises also that he will come again. Which, by the way, when he does come again, he, he, he's not riding a donkey. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, he comes riding on a white stallion. He's got a name upon him, check this out, that nobody knows but himself. He is faithful and true, and he will, by the word of his mouth, save his people Israel when he comes again. Which I feel like telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be with him then when he comes. Guess what? You'll be riding. No donkeys. Y'all didn't hear me. You'll be on a stallion too. Good. I've never ridden a horse like that before. I never rode a donkey. Here he is, though, Jesus is presented. Y'all got me meddling too much on donkeys and horses. Let me go to the next reality here. Jesus was rejected. Now, here he comes. Jesus is presented, but as we have seen in chapter 10 and verse 11, or chapter 11, we also see that he's rejected in chapter 12. Look at verse 19 in your Bible. Let me kind of give this to you in uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. The Bible says, the Pharisees took one look and they threw up their hands. So they throw up their hands, and then they say this, it is out of control. The world's in a stampede after Jesus. And there were amazement in the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, and the Sanhedrin, which was a collection of all of these so-called religious leaders of the day. They see Jesus coming in. They're fearful now that people aren't going to look to them any longer, so they want to Reject Jesus. They say, well, look, everybody's going after him. What, what can we do? And that's uh, when they soon began holding meetings to try to figure out what they were going to do with Jesus. That's when their meetings would lead to an inner determination to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, that was Palm Sunday that we just read about. Tuesday of that same week in the life of Jesus one of his disciples named Judas discovered a greedy convenience to cash in on his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So he meets with the Sanhedrin and he mounts a deceptive plan to give Jesus up to those who wanted his life. 
And then on Thursday evening, only two days later, Jesus and all of his disciples had what we know as the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, and Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, he hands it out to everybody and says, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes the wine and he hands it out to everybody and says, this is my blood that is shed for you. So this occurs in the moment of the Lord's Supper, but prior to the Lord's Supper being taken, Judas takes off and leaves. He goes and finds the same cats he had made the deceptive plan with. He says, we've got him, I know exactly where he is, follow me. Judas leads the raid as they go to where the Lord Jesus Christ is, and Judas has already told them, when I see him, I will let you know who he is by giving him a kiss on his cheek. And so you can imagine as they go stumbling up in the evening to find where the Lord Jesus is, the soldiers are holding their, their lights lit by fire. They've got the chains rattling in the darkness. Judas comes upon the disciples, now only 11 of them. He looks to the face of Jesus. They lock eyes. He moves over to where he is. He reaches out and embraces Jesus with a deceptive hug and then with a greedy idea. He leans over. He kisses Judas or Jesus on the cheek. He turns and walks away, immediately receiving what was promised to him, 30 shekels of silver. Which, by the way, when we read our Old Testament, we actually discover that 30 shekels of silver are the cost of a slave. So he gives Jesus over for 30 shekels. And then they grab hold of Jesus. It's on Thursday evening. Then, not long after that, Jesus begins to face many trials, six of them, in fact. Jesus was scourged. He was beaten to a point that you and I cannot understand. He experienced excruciating pain like you and I could not imagine. As they would take a cat of nine tails and slap him upon his back, and then that cat of nine tails would be broken pieces of bone and glass, and every single hit on the back of Jesus would tear apart his flesh and rip it to the ground. Blood would be streaming from the ribbons that were left on his flesh. After being scourged, they stood the Lord Jesus Christ before the people. And check this out, the people who Sunday prior, only a few days back, were shouting, Hosanna, save us now we pray. These same people are now saying, crucify him. Crucify him, put him on the cross. Why? What changed their perspective? Well, it's because they began to see that Jesus wasn't coming to establish a kingdom on earth yet. So in their rejection, they were determined to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then Friday rolls around. Friday marks the day of Passover, by the way. And if you can imagine this, the city of Jerusalem would present their lambs to the priest of the temple to be sacrificed on their behalf. So whenever they would travel into the city of Jerusalem before they left, they would have gone to their fields and they would have chosen a spotless lamb. And they would have carried this lamb with them on their journey into the city of Jerusalem so that on the day of Passover, they could offer up this lamb on behalf of their sins. 
This occurred on Friday. You can imagine the innocent lambs being taken to the temple to have their lives taken while simultaneously Jesus Christ, the one of whom John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world as they led their lambs. If you and I were Jew and we lived in that day, we would have been carrying our lambs up to the temple while at the same time God the Father allowed his son, the lamb, to be carried outside the city gates up to a mountain called Calvary. We would present our lamb to the priest. The priest would slit its throat. And imagine the blood spattering on the floors of the temple while at the same time, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ would run quickly from his hands when the nails were pierced through. Blood would be sprinkled on the altar of sacrifice in the temple. Blood everywhere being sprinkled all over the place while at the same time, the blood of Jesus would run quickly from his feet and his head and sprinkle down on that hard dirt floor. The blood of lambs covering the priestly wardrobe, the priest who are always dressed to the nine to look sharp and to stand out on this particular day would have been covered with blood, the blood of the lamb, while simultaneously the blood fell from the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and his body would cover the sins of those who would believe. Isaiah spoke about it in the Old Testament by saying, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Check out what Isaiah said. Are y'all listening say yes? Isaiah said this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. Like a sheep, that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open up his mouth. John 12, Jesus was presented, Jesus was rejected, Jesus received a hardcore determination from people to get rid of him. He died on Friday, shouting from the cross, it is finished, he breathed his last breath, and gave his spirit unto his father, committing himself in obedience. Saturday was one of those awfully quiet days. Maybe a few little comments here and there. Maybe a few conversations, whispers in the home. I really thought this was the one. I suppose we'll have to wait. I had trusted Jesus to be the one, but I suppose I will have to wait. Saturday was silent, but uh, Sunday came. Y'all didn't listen to what I just said. I'm going to do it again. Saturday was silent, but then Sunday came. <laughs> what, what happened on Sunday? Jesus got up from the dead. Oh my, 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 what is happening now? The stone is rolled away and Jesus comes out in a glorified state. And check this out. He is right now still presenting himself to people. And what do people do today? People continue to reject him. 
Some even try to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ. But aren't you glad that some people receive him? I was fired up this past week as I had the opportunity to share with both a husband and a wife the gospel of Jesus. And they knelt and they prayed and gave their hearts to the Lord. And then after it was over, my man stood up and said, I'm going to tell you what, today's a great day. I said, you got that right, bro. And then he makes this statement, I finally understand what it means to be saved. And listen, listen, you may need to understand what it means to be saved. It's not your works. If you could get to heaven by being a good person, then this whole business of the cross makes zero sense. Why would he come and die? If you could get there by being religious, then this whole resurrection really doesn't make any sense either. Why must he get up from the grave? You're not saved by your works or your religion. You're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The saved day. Can I tell you how it used to be read before they changed it to wretch? They saved a worm like me. <laughs> Y'all like that version? Once was blind, but now I see. Have you experienced that? Listen, when you experience this gospel message, it permeates every single fiber of your being. And you have this inner desire, check this out, to present Jesus to other people. And you do it knowing that some will reject. But you also fish, and you know that all the fish aren't always going to bite. But sometimes they get on the hook, don't they? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've been out fishing all day long. You didn't get anything. Then finally, all of a sudden, that pole starts jerking. You get so fired up. Y'all, y'all ain't with me. That's how, that's how it is with me, right? There that thing is. It jumped. This is me excited. Y'all listen. I reel that bad boy in. So listen, I throw the gospel out. I throw it out. I throw it out. I throw it out. And sometimes it seems like weeks go by, weeks, and nobody responds. Nobody jumps on. But then all of a sudden, the pole starts moving. <laughs> Y'all ain't listening. I'm going to preaching now. I get so fired up. That's what it's all about, seeing people come into the kingdom. And whenever you're saved, you'll find that's all it is about for you as well. Let's bow together. Father, this morning we've... Thank you for the scripture we sought to worship you. And God, this morning, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning, and we remember what Jesus Christ did for us by having his body broken, his blood spilled for our sake. Man, we remember. And we remember the price that was paid for the penalty of our sin, which was death. All of us deserved it, but Jesus took it. He was buried and resurrected, and we, in taking of the Lord's Supper, remember that he's coming again. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, you may be here today, and Jesus has been presented before you. He died for you. See, you deserve to die for your sin and go to hell, but Jesus so loved you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life.
Listen, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to die for your sin. He came to die for my sin. None of us are good enough. The scripture says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you this morning can call upon him. That's what you need. You need Jesus. 